today, aren't we? <laughs> I forgot to turn mine on. I got so caught up in the music back there. So, today we're looking at God's vision for our church, and I'm going to kind of lay foundation for this series this morning, do a little more teaching uh, to give us, get us on the same page. There are some buildings that house organizations where I believe the mission is, is very, very clear. Everyone knows why that organization exists. I mean, just around the corner, we got uh, Alton High School, uh, Faith Fellowship. We met there for, for a couple of years as a church before we had a building. And tomorrow, teachers and teens, they'll kind of cruise into school. Why, why does the school exist? To educate to help grow and and stretch young minds, right? The other day I was at Barnes Hospital. I mean, why does the hospital exist? So people can live, help people stay healthy uh, and, and alive, right? Why does Starbucks exist? So people can live. <laughs> Makes you come alive, right? I work Starbucks in any time I can. I've tried to get them to, uh, uh, like, underwrite a service or something like that, you know, by Starbucks. But uh, why does the church exist? Why, why does it matter that we gather here today? What does God expect uh, of you and me uh, collectively and as individuals? I believe if we're going to answer that question, that we've got to track all the way back to the book of Exodus. Israel had just escaped slavery in Egypt. They're making their way through the wilderness to the promised land. Moses is leading them. And God told Moses that he wanted him to build a house, a tabernacle, a sanctuary. A sanctuary where God is going to live in it, all right? And a good portion of the book of Exodus is kind of blueprint instructions for that house. In fact, uh, the main dynamic that you catch when, when you're reading through that book is that certain things, certain objects, certain people, certain places are set aside, they're, they're sacred. They're, they're holy. You know, certain people are, are set apart from, from the rest. In fact, Exodus uh, 29th chapter, verse 1 says, this is what, what you are to do to consecrate them. In other words, to, to make them holy. And then he goes on and talks about the, the priests. But there are certain spaces that are set apart, that are consecrated, that are, that are holy. And they are to, to make this tabernacle, the, this uh, sanctuary. And it's divided into three main sections, okay? You've got the outside court. And then you've got the inside place. And inside the tabernacle, you have a holy place, all right? And then you have the holy of holies. This is where God dwelled. So we've got a holy place, and we've got 
the Holy of Holies. And it's separated by a curtain, okay? And this is kind of a strange concept, I I think, in our our world today, to think about uh, holiness being separate. Now, I was trying to think about a a modern example that would help us understand this a little bit better. And I don't know if you've ever noticed when you're traveling, you're on a plane, you've got coach and you've got first class. And they use a curtain to separate it sometimes, right? How many of you have ever seen that? If you're in coach, you're not allowed to go on the other side of the curtain, right? Why? Because you're common. You're ordinary. Or maybe you were the one up there looking back. I don't know. But first class, on the other hand, it's the Holy of Holies on a plane. They have sacred chairs up there. They're wide. They're comfortable. They're sacred. Seriously, when I get in those little seats, I really envy the people up there. But they've got real linen. They have real plates. They even get silverware up there. You do not have that in coach. And if you're in the Holy of Holies on on the plane again, you have to be clean. In fact, they bring you a moist towel at the beginning of the flight so you can wipe your face and and your hands so that that you're clean. If if you're back in in coach, you can sweat. Nobody cares. I mean, they don't. First class even has a sacred restroom that's just theirs. And the curtain divides the two parts. Inside the tabernacle, it's divided. You have a holy place, and then you have the holy of holies. And it's divided by a curtain. Everything in the holy of holies is sacred. They, they offer sacrifices on, on an altar, and they're sacred sacrifices. You have a sacred altar. In fact, anybody that touches anything had to be sacred and holy. Holiness and uncleanliness, you get this sense that it's by touch that it moves. So you have the sacred place, you have a sacred altar, You have sacred sacrifices, sacred people, and you even have sacred clothing. In fact, there's very detailed instructions about the wardrobe of the the priests, even down to the stitching. Exodus 28, it says, these are the garments there to make, a breastpiece, ephrod, a robe, a woven tunic, turban and a sash that are make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons so that they may serve as priests. Again, I I was trying to think about how you talk about sacred clothing and the closest I could come up with in in our world today is what does a bride wear at a wedding? Yeah, again, wedding dress. It's a special dress. Never wear it again. Only on the wedding day. 
You know, what does the groom wear? Nobody cares. They, they don't. <laughs> There's nothing sacred about the groom. They're just along for the ride. The, the bride, though, the dress is important. And, and they have other sacred things. Something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. They're all things that set them apart. Well, well, the priest, the priest had sacred clothing. They had a breastplate. They had a turban and, and a sash. They even had sacred emblems. Uh, they, they, were, they were part of the design. And in fact, if you read Exodus 28, the entire chapter details what the priest's garment is to, to be like. And so then we've, we've got sacred garments, we've got sacred incense, we've got sacred oil that was used for anointing. So, so you've got all the sacred stuff, sacred place, sacred altar, sacred sacrifice, sacred people, sacred garments, incense, oil. And you get the sense when you read through Scripture that some things are ordinary and some things are holy. You read the book of Leviticus and there is a whole system of beliefs that things people are to do that seem really odd to us. But the system is to help people understand the difference between the common and the holy, between the unclean and the clean, a system that kind of would enhance the radar of people about what is holy and what is sacred. You know, two different realms. One of them, holy, clean, pure, sacred. The other side of the curtain, ordinary, every day secular this side over here special this side it's not special this side is for the priests and the high priest this side's for everyday people this side's sacred this side's secular each side has a different set of rules there's a set of rules for the ordinary And there's another set of rules for the holy. And in this holiness area, you got a graduation of holiness. Again, you had the holy place, and then you've got the holy of holies. This is the most holy place. The closer you get to the most holy place, the closer you get to God. All right? It's interesting when you read through Scripture that if you look at the details of the tabernacle that Moses was asked to build, the outer court, this outer court here, everything in the outer court was made with with different kinds of metals were, were used. Bronze was predominant. The holy place... They used a lot of silver. The Holy of Holies, they only used gold. So what happens as you're moving toward 
the most holy place, as you're moving toward the place where God dwelled, there's this increase in value of the metals that were used. And I think it was to kind of indicate the increase in the level of holiness. It's the same thing with people. There are certain people that are holier than others. The most holy person in all of Israel was the high priest. And only the high priest could go in to the most holy place, into the holy of holies. The holy place, the priest could go in there. And, and then you've got the Levites that, that assisted the priests. And then beyond that, you've got the men and women of Israel. And then you've got the Gentiles. And so you've got this progression, again, from each step, the holy place to the most holy place, all the way back to the least holy that's way out here. And around the tabernacle, everybody had their place. The least holy were the furthest away from the most holy place. There's the court of the Gentiles. They could go this far and no further. Then, then you've got the court of the women of Israel. They could go this far and no further. You've got the men of Israel. They could go to the courtyard of the temple, and that's as far as they could go. Then you had the priests. They were allowed into the holy place. And then the holy of holies was reserved for one man, the high priest, you have the same thing with uh, the progression of days. In other words, there were regular days. And then there were feast days. And then there were Sabbath days. And the most holy day of the year was the Day of Atonement. One day out of the year, one place on the planet, one person from the human race got to go in the Holy of Holies and see the glory of God. The curtain shut everybody else out. And it shut the Holy in. Friends, everything was built around separating the Holy from the ordinary. And then Jesus Christ unhinges it all. And what happens to that system of holy and unholy, holy and common, what happens there? The whole New Testament addresses that. The Gospel of John starts out with some loaded language that kind of makes sense, and that's why we spent so much time talking about this. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John wants us to get the fact that Jesus was the Word. He wants us to, to understand that, and he's going to press his point. And in verse 14, he says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The word dwelling there. Skenu in the Greek. It's where the word skene comes from, which means temple, tent, tabernacle. 
John uses this word very deliberately because what he's trying to say, and you could translate it this way, the word became flesh and made his tabernacle among us. The tabernacle represented the presence of God. And what John's saying is that in Jesus Christ, the reality God in the flesh. God is present among all of us now. That's why he says we've seen his glory. I mean, John's language here is seriously loaded. It is saying that the old system and what it represented is not needed anymore because the reality is in Jesus Christ, God now lives among us. That's a reality that would cause Jesus a lot of problems in his life. His time on this earth, it jammed him up because Jesus was constantly violating these boundaries. The boundaries. In other words, he was violating the Old Testament system. Jesus would eat with sinners. Jesus didn't regard sinners as people that would make him unholy. That got him in trouble. Got him in trouble all the time with the, with the Jews of that day, with the leaders, with the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Jesus, see, believed instead that he could make sinners holy that he could change them. Jesus would touch lepers. He doesn't believe that they're going to make him unclean. Instead, he believes he can make them clean. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. That was not allowed, according to Jewish law. And when he was criticized for not separating himself, not separating the the ordinary and the holy, when Jesus didn't do that, Jesus doesn't apologize for it. In fact, Jesus would make outrageous statements. We're, we're told in Matthew 12 that one day he, he was with his disciples and they were walking along and they were eating grain and it was the Sabbath day. And the religious leaders, they get on his case about it. And so Jesus reminds them of a time when King David and some of his companions went into the tabernacle and they they ate the sacred bread. And he was challenging them because they had come up with this kind of superficial understanding of the law. And Jesus is letting them know that this stuff doesn't matter anymore. In fact, in a very poignant way, he says, "I, I tell you, There is one here who is even greater than the temple. That's a staggering statement. I mean, who's he talking about? Who's he talking about being greater than the temple? It's not a trick question. Who's he talking about? Himself. He's talking about Jesus. He says, Jesus is greater than the temple. Because the temple, the Holy of Holies, represented God's presence to the people. But now, 
God's not confined to that anymore. Jesus says, I'm the presence of God. Some people say Jesus was just a good teacher. Well, friends, he was way more than that. Because there was no other good teacher that ever would have said that they're greater than the temple. In the old system, the temple, it was the holiest place. Now, the holiest place is wherever Jesus Christ is. You've got to get a handle on this. Now, ordinary days, ordinary food, ordinary offices, ordinary schools, ordinary people are becoming clean and holy. God bathed, God wrapped, God breathed because of Jesus Christ. This old way of thinking, some stuff's holy, some stuff's ordinary. It's got to go. There is nothing ordinary anymore. One day Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. And she asks a very common question in that day. It was kind of a hot topic in that day. You see, Samaritans believed that God revealed himself differently than what the Jews thought. And not only did Samaritans worship differently, but they worshipped in a different place. They worshipped on a different mountain. She says to him, she says, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. She's talking to Jesus here. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem's the only place of worship? While we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gizurim where our ancestors worshipped. Any other Jew, any other rabbi or prophet, the correct answer would have been the temple in Jerusalem because that's where God was. Jesus says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. This is a jaw-dropping comment here by Jesus. Jesus goes on and he says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Wherever Jesus Christ is, it's holy. One day the religious leaders asked Jesus for a sign as to his authority. And Jesus answered them this way. John 2.19 says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Again, Jesus is saying something no other rabbi would have said. He's talking about himself. He's talking about the body, his body, being the presence of God. He ultimately is going to link his, his death to the death of the old system. His resurrection to the birth of a new system. And friends, he says, destroy this temple. They did destroy that temple. They crucified him. They crucified him for statements like that. 
And when, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, his, his last breath, Matthew says, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, here we go, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Matthew. Matthew wants to make sure that the readers get this. He wants to make sure that they understand that the curtain, the curtain in the temple, it was torn from top to bottom. The dividing line has been erased. It's gone. What used to be one place, one day, one person experiencing the most holy experiencing God, now it's changed. It could be anywhere. It could be any time. It could be anyone experiencing the most holy, experiencing God. When the curtain came down, not only could people get to God, But God could get out to people. God could reoccupy this earth. God could reclaim the human race. Every inch of it, every moment of it, every person in it, every place, God could be there. You know, Jesus said to his followers, this is right after the resurrection, right before his ascension into heaven. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, no surprise there, and in all Judea, this is all of Israel, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Where's the ends of the earth? Wherever you and I go. If you're a Christian. Wherever you and I go, it is the ends of the earth. Jesus is the center, not Jerusalem, Jesus. Where, where, where is Jesus going? He's going to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth are wherever you go, wherever you are, wherever you're involved, whatever moment you're in. You know, Paul absolutely understood this. That's why he writes 1 Corinthians 3.16, says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. We're God's temple. Now God's spirit, which was originally associated with the Holy of Holies, God's spirit is in you. You are the Holy of Holies. What you think about that? If you're a Christian, you are the holy of holies. You are the living temple. Not buildings. Not buildings. Buildings are fine. They're, they're good. But they're, they are not divided up anymore. You don't have holy buildings and unholy buildings. Jesus destroyed that system. He says, you know what? We gather here. We gather here today. Not because it's holy in here. We gather here today because it's holy in here. 
and out there. Because Jesus Christ died, the curtain came down. The old system's been replaced. Wherever you go, wherever you go, as a Christian, Jesus Christ goes. And that changes absolutely everything. Changes everything. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, when you leave this place today, you need to remember you are a living temple. You are to see Jesus Christ in every moment of your day. You are to hear Jesus Christ in every conversation. You are to allow Jesus Christ through you to bring love and hope and joy and life to other people through you. We are to go into the world and when we go, we're to see God-given opportunities everywhere. We go everywhere. Allow God, think about this, allow God through you to make things glorious. God-honoring. We gather here today to worship God. We gather here today to remember that we are living temples. Living temples. NCAA tournament started this week. I love March Madness. You got anybody watching it? Any Illinois fans out there? (laughs) Go Kentucky. Oh, they've been good games, been good games this year. But did you ever notice before the games, they have kind of their warm-up and their shoot-around, and right before the game starts, they huddle up. They huddle up. It's a last-minute pep talk. Can you imagine everybody huddling up, going, oh, man, let's just huddle some more. Let's, Let's forget about the game. Come on, forget about it. This is a safe place. This is a safe place. It's going to be rough out there. It's going to be tough. Somebody somebody might get hurt. Let's forget about the game and huddle. Wouldn't make for a very good tournament, would it? Friends, the point of the huddle is not the huddle. It is to get in the game and hit the court. That's the point of the huddle. You see, the world doesn't care how good our huddle is here. They do not care. The world is full of people that are desperately longing and wanting to know how much they matter, to know that they are loved, that they are created fearfully and wonderfully, that God has a plan for their life. It's not about the huddle. Never was. You know, in football, I've heard of teams using uh, no-huddle offense. But I have never heard of a team using a no-offense huddle. It makes no sense. Can, Can you imagine a hospital and the people that work at the hospital get together and go, you know what, we're all healthy here. I'm healthy, you're healthy. Let's avoid sick people. Sick people at all costs. They they might make us sick. 
You know, one day the Pharisees, they're challenging Jesus because he's eating with sinners again. See, he's violating the boundaries. Jesus says, says, on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous, but the sinner. But the sick. Friends, we're all the sick. But now it's all one. We've all fallen. But we're all God-loved and God-touched. And when you see people, even people you don't like, when you pick up the paper or magazine or you're surfing the net and you're reading about a group of people and you think, you know what? I don't think like they think. I don't share the same values that they share. I don't like them. When you want to write people off, I want you to remember, when you go into the world, Jesus Christ is there with you. And it's holy moments, holy opportunities. You know, Jesus was talking to his followers one day. He says, I I was hungry. You fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. You know, I I was a stranger. You invited me in your home. I I was sick and and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. His followers are like, when did we do that? We we don't remember doing that. Are you sure? I, I don't think so. Jesus says, Matthew 25, 40, says, Truly, I tell you, whenever you did it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. What you did for them, you did for me. When you loved them, you loved me. When you ignored them, you ignored me. And what I want to say is if you are a Christian, it's all holy ground now. It's all holy ground. Every opportunity that God gives you, you have to make the best use of it because you now are God's presence in in the world. Paul writes in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, he says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, whether you get paid for it or you're a volunteer, whatever you do in your offices, in your cubicles, at the counter, at the desk, on the phone, at school, at the club, on the court, at the store, wherever you are, friends, it's holy. It's holy. No more buildings, no more buildings with customs and clothing and curtains and all this stuff. See, we're we're to join God in working in this world. We're to join God and allow God to use us. Why? Because it's all holy. So if you're assisting at the hospital, maybe at an elder care facility, you're serving God. 
You're God's presence. Big brother, big sister, helping a kid with their dreams. You're God's presence. Maybe befriending someone at work that just needs a friend. You're God's presence. Helping a neighbor, God's presence. Getting involved in relief effort, God's presence in the world. Helping out a single mom that desperately needs a little bit of relief. You're God's presence. Visit someone in jail or in prison. And by the way, they get forgotten many times. You're God's presence. You know, invite a widow or widower out out for lunch because they're lonely. God's presence. Come alongside a brother or sister that is struggling. God's presence. Have the courage to help someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ. God's presence and an eternal marking, by the way. Help somebody take that next step spiritually. God's presence. Invite a friend or a neighbor to church. God's presence. You've got to get out of the huddle. You've got to get out of the huddle. You've got to allow God through you to reclaim this world. That's why we're here. This life's short. Eternity's long. People are precious. It's the only thing that's going to matter. It's the only thing that you take to eternity with you. And I was thinking about how much God has loved us. What, what God's heart must be like. You know, how God's heart breaks and aches for this world. You know, the, I think about the steps that God has taken to make us holy through Jesus Christ. We are called to love God with all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, full devotion, 24-7, no time off. You know, we live in this world that's divided. One group against another, culture wars, hate groups, people writing off people that are different. I mean, it's just ugly. The world is crying out. There are people longing for a community that will say, we love you. You do not have to clean up first. You do not have to be like us. We just want to love you on the behalf of God. Friends, it's what we're called to be and it's what we're called to do. If you're a Christian, it's not an option. Every moment becomes an opportunity to reach out, to serve, to be God's hands, to be God's feet, to be God's ears, to be God's voice in this world, God's glory in this world. It's all holy. Every person you run into, Every place you are, every moment, it's all holy. It's all holy. Everywhere. We gather here to worship. We gather here to remember it's all holy. The old system, the curtain, the division doesn't work anymore. Because with Jesus Christ, every moment of every day is holy. As Christians, we are defined holy in every moment. And I believe if Faith Fellowship starts loving God with all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, if we make it a priority to find 
the holy in every single moment, every single opportunity in our lives in this area, in the St. Louis area, in the River Bend area, if we are the salt and the light to a lost world, if we are the presence of God everywhere we go, absolutely everywhere, we can change the world. We can mark eternity. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone will experience the glory of God through Jesus Christ in us. In us. It changes everything, doesn't it? I would challenge you to remember we're not just God's people. We're God's presence in this world. That feels a little different, doesn't it? Puts a little more weight to how we live, what we do with every moment that we're given. Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God, God, we praise you. God, I thank you that we don't have to worship you from a distance. That you're here right now. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for the guidance you give us each day. God, I think sometimes we just take that for granted that we don't realize that you're present among us. God, I pray that we would be your presence in this world. That we would mark lives, change lives. People would get a glimpse of your glory through us. God, forgive us when forgive us when we fail, when we take a holy moment and we just trash it. God, I pray that this church, that when people speak, that they go, that church they love. They made a difference in my life. God, I pray everything we say and do would be honoring to you. We give you the glory. We give you the praise this day and every day.